You turn your Bibles this morning to Titus chapter 2, verse 1. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to get there a little later on, um, but it's one of the larger chunks of Scripture that we're going to read today. The rest will be up on the screen. But Titus chapter 2, starting with verse 1. All right, today we are wrapping up our series on humanity. What does it mean to be human? We have looked at who we are. We're trying to ask the question before our Creator God, what is it that He has made us to be? And throughout this whole series, we've looked at humanity from all different angles. We've talked about how we are created in the image of God. And it's something that is important to note there. When we talk about humanity as created beings, there are some implications that we've got to come to grips with. First of all, we aren't just whatever we want to be or think that we are. That God has a specific design and intention for our lives as His creatures. He made us for a reason. The Bible says that He made us so that we could rule and reign with Him. That we would be stewards of the earth. That we'd have uh, dominion. And so, on the one hand, there is this, this limitation that we are creatures, and we are finite, and we are limited. But on the other hand, because we were made by the king, the ruler of the universe, the, the God overall, that means that our lives have deep significance. Like, what we do actually matters, and it matters for all of eternity. Without God, there is no ultimate meaning, there is no ultimate purpose, there is no ultimate design, there's no ultimate goal that we're trying to aim for. It, it is God that instills our life with ultimate value and ultimate meaning. And being created in God's image means that we have dignity and value, that God looks at us and He sees us as worth something. We're much more than just cosmic dust that has somehow, by accident, formed into this being that we call human, right? We are much more than just specks on a tiny little planet in a tiny little solar system in a great galaxy in the universe, right? We, we have significance before God, and that matters. And we've been looking at different things like um, our national background and, and race, and we've been talking about what it means to be single or, or married in a holy way before God. Last week, we specifically looked at holy sexuality. And, and this week, we're going to uh, tackle the topic of God's design for gender. This is an important topic for us because we look around the world and we see that there is a lot of confusion, there's a lot of conflict, there's a lot of division about what it means to be male and female or what it means to be a, a man or a woman. And we want to be um, just aware of that discussion as we begin to think about what Scripture says and how God lays out for us His design for humanity. See, the Scripture has something to speak into our current conversation, and we as believers need to be willing to hear from the Scriptures, to hear from God, and speak faithfully and boldly and graciously with love. We've been talking in this whole series about how Jesus embodied grace and truth. And as his followers who are called to bear witness to the gospel, to the good news of salvation in him, how sin and darkness and death is overcome by the power of Jesus, that we also 
are to be messengers of both, of both grace and truth, that God is the God of compassion, that God is the God of forgiveness, God is the God of holiness, and God will ultimately do what is right. And last week we reminded ourselves that as we discuss sexuality and gender and these things, we want to re- remember that we are talking about people. We're not just talking about ideas or issues or things to be debated in the, in the um, political realm. We're not just talking about laws and the way things we think ought, the, the way we think things ought to be, but rather we're, we're wrestling with, with the lives of people made in the image of God. We're going to start with a video this morning. It's from the same series that we shared last week. And as you watch this video, um, it's, it's presented in such a way that maybe you'll agree or maybe you'll disagree. Uh, the, the author, the, the, the speaker, Preston Sprinkle, he's going to talk about some concepts, and we're going to revisit those concepts in the rest of this sermon. So we're going we're gonna to come back to that. But what I really want you to focus in on is hearing from people and hearing the stories of people who have struggled with this idea of gender, being male or female. So let's go to the video this morning. identity questions in the mid-80s, early 90s was a very frustrating time. Transgenderism wasn't out there, so it was having this horrible feeling that something was wrong, that I didn't feel like I fit in my skin. I became suicidal, and, you know, God finally just kind of laid, laid out for me that I was going to be okay somehow, and... I went to my pastor, and I, with this confidence that I felt God had given me, I went to my pastor, and I said, look, this is something I'm battling. I don't know what to do with it. And I was escorted out of the church and um, invited to never come back. And I didn't for 18 years. I didn't set foot in a church. In the midst of debates about bathroom laws and transgender people in the military, the main question I want you to consider is this. What kind of person will you be when God places a Leslie in your path? For this episode and the next, we're going to talk about things related to the transgender conversation. So let's start by reviewing the meaning of some key terms. Transgender is a term used to describe people who experience some level of incongruence with their biological sex. Many transgender people say they feel like they're trapped in the wrong body. The term transsexual usually refers to someone who has had a sex change or cross-hormone therapy or is seriously considering doing so. But most people who could be classified as transsexual don't love the term, so I'd recommend not using it to describe people. The term gender dysphoria describes the level of distress that often comes with being transgender. An intersex person is somebody who was born with some ambiguity in their biological sex. And so while transgender is rooted in the mind, intersex is rooted in the body. Non-binary gender identities are identities other than male or female, like gender queer, gender fluid, pangender, or gender non-conforming. These identities stem from the belief that male and female are simply two options at the very far ends of a spectrum of gender possibilities. 
And then there's sex and gender. Sex just refers to your sexual anatomy, your reproductive system, your chromosomes, and other bodily features. But gender is a term that's used in many different ways to mean many different things. But there's at least four different ways in which people typically use the term gender. First, your own internal sense of self. Two, how you express yourself, clothing and mannerisms. Three, cultural expectations of what it means to be a woman or a man. Or four, sometimes gender is used as a synonym for biological sex. The way I like to think of sex and gender is this. Sex is a bodily biological reality and gender is how we give social expression to that reality. As you can see, the concept of gender is tough to nail down. This is why some people say that there are 100 or 200 or an infinite number of genders. This is really common among younger people, especially, who often resist any binary or either-or options, such as male or female, gay or straight. Categories of in-between or non-binary, like gender-queer, gender-nonconforming, are much more popular today among teens. But again, just because there are different ways to express your gender, this doesn't mean that there are different genders. For instance, one man can love football while another man loves art. But this doesn't mean they embody different genders. They simply experience the same gender in different ways. For me, the, the feeling, even though I had transitioned, um, the whole world saw me as male now, um, yet my soul was crying out. I, I couldn't carry the weight of a man in the world because I wasn't created to, to do that. And uh, eventually it just was too heavy. And uh, I think it's the fall of man and our afflictions that separate us from knowing sometimes, you know, what it feels like to be male or, or female. All right, so what does the Bible say about all of this? The Bible is pretty straightforward. Humans exist as either male or female, which is determined by biology. Genesis 1.27 says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Humanity is divided into two different sexes, male and female. There's nothing in the rest of scripture that challenges this binary division. Humans are either male or female. Elsewhere in scripture, we see God forbidding people from crossing these gender boundaries, like in Deuteronomy 22.6, where cross-dressing is forbidden. Now, of course, in a fallen world, some people will experience incongruence between their biological sex and their gender identity. And this is where gender dysphoria comes in. Some people experience some serious psychological disconnect between how they feel and experience life and their biological sex. But this doesn't mean that their bodies are wrong. It just means that they are experiencing the real effects of the fall. Now, here's the thing. The Bible does not give us a lot of specific guidelines on what it means to be a man or a woman or how we should express ourselves as male and female. In fact, many of our assumptions about what it means to be a man or woman come from culture and not scripture. Think about it. Was David being more of a man when he killed Goliath or when he was playing his harp and writing poetry? Was Jesus being manly when he turned over the tables in the temple or when he wept over Jerusalem and longed to comfort his people like a mother hen gathers her chicks? Jesus has beautified my life by redeeming my identity because all these years growing up being made fun of for being girly, for being a dancer, or being called fag for being a singer, I thought that being a 
that being a violinist, being a pianist, being a composer, being a singer, being a dancer, being sassy, being flamboyant, and being, you know, I'm liking to sit with my legs crossed, even something like that. I thought all these things meant that I was gay. But what God says is, he takes all these things, he says, you're a violinist, you're a pianist, because in your mother's womb, that is how I made you. Um, you are a singer, you are a dancer because I looked into your mother's womb and formed you to dance and formed you to sing. Um, you are sassy and flamboyant, not because you are gay, but because I looked into your mother's womb and said, this is my son for whom I am well pleased. I know many people who struggle with their gender identity, not because they're violating scripture, but because they don't match up to some modern cultural stereotype of what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman. Some boys don't love sports. Some girls don't want to wear pink and have babies. And that doesn't mean that they are any less male or female. Look, sex difference is very real. God created us as male or female. Our biology is different and our psychology is often different. But the biblical expectations for what it means to be a man or a woman are much broader than people realize. And this might contribute to the current confusion over gender that's so prevalent in the church and in culture today. So whatever happened to Leslie? Well, she ended up facing more hardship and suffering, but she did meet one pastor who took the time to embody the grace of Christ when she needed it the most. I went on to college and was in the Baptist Student Union there. Um, they knew nothing about what had happened back at home, and I was on the executive council. I had gone to summer missions in a prison, and while I was there in summer missions, started dating one of the uh, one of the prison guards, and uh, I would preach on Sunday morning and then go home to her, and I felt like this horrific hypocrite, and I didn't really know what to do, so I, I completely left the church. I, I left everything behind in my faith and started in theater where being gay was completely accepted, and I met my wife, and she was unlike anyone I'd ever met before. We dated for two years and were married for six. Um, she had a fatal disease, and uh, we ended up having to pull the plug. And I called this church and spoke to the pastor. I will never forget his words. I asked him if he would consider doing Sue's funeral. You know, I said, we're, we're lesbians. You know, I know you're a church. I know you're in Northampton, but would you do this for us? And I will never forget these, these words. He said I would be honored to. What brought me back to the church was, oddly enough, the church, the, the people of the church being what Christ designed the church to be. They would just treat me like a normal human being, which is not something I had really experienced in the church prior to that. Again, like last week, this video is uh, part of a series that's available on Right Now Media, which you have access to um, through the church website. Uh, you're welcome to go and take a look. One of the, the strengths of, of this uh, series is that we're actually sitting down and talking to people and hearing their stories, because very often we like to talk about ideas, and we're, we're not very good at listening to what other 
people have to say. So I would encourage you to go check the whole video series out and other resources that you'll find there. But we want to dive in, and we are going to talk about the concepts first, and then we'll talk about how we interact with people. And many of the things that were shared on that video, I'm going to just kind of reiterate and maybe look a a little more deeply at this morning. But um, we're going to begin by just reminding ourselves about humanity. A number of weeks ago, we asked the question, what does it mean to be a human being? Like, what is a human being? What is the makeup of a human? And we saw that we are embodied souls, that we are both physical and spiritual beings. And sometimes we like to emphasize one or the other. We ignore our bodily um, care because we think we need to be spiritual, or, or we forget about the spiritual altogether and we can only think about the needs of our bodies. But God didn't design us to uh, focus on one over the other, but rather to live before Him as a united whole, that we come before Him both body and soul, and we honor God with the totality of who we are, and we recognize the interplay between the two. Like sometimes uh, my soul is off because I'm not taking good care of my body. And sometimes my body is off because I'm not taking good care of my soul. And we want to be um, integrated people and not divide ourselves in an unhealthy way. And so as we begin to look at the Scripture and what it says about um, gender and being both male and female, we're reminded of the creation account. And Scripture just consistently teaches that God made male and God made female, that both are made in God's image. But we are, as human beings, divided into two genders, male and female. And so in Genesis 1.27, God created mankind in His image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. And so this, this idea of this, this gender distinction, this uh, sex distinction, there, that there are these differences, that these differences enable us to fulfill God's plan for humanity to rule over the earth, There's a blessing. He says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, right? So Adam and Eve were to have have children, and through that, over generations, they would fill the earth and subdue it. This is repeated again in Genesis chapter 5. It's it's not like it just says it once and doesn't come back to it, but Genesis 5 repeats. When God created mankind, He made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them, and He named them mankind when they were created. Jesus, as he's talking about relationships between men and women, as he's questioned about divorce and it is okay to get, to, uh, get divorced and whatnot, he, he tells the Jews, he says, haven't you read the scriptures? That at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. And then he lays out this pattern for marriage that a man would leave his father and mother and be united with his wife. And so over and over again, we see these categories that we as human beings, um, we are embodied souls, we are spiritual and physical creatures, and we are sexed creatures. We um, are either male or female. Now, something that we need to think about then is as male and female, how is it that we are supposed to express our masculinity or femininity? Like, how should we act as men? How should we act as women? And as he notes here that 
that there are some general instructions in Scripture about where we shouldn't blur the lines between the two sexes or the, the two genders. That um, when God was giving Israel instructions in the Old Testament, he says in Deuteronomy 22.5 that a man must not uh, excuse me, a woman must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear woman's clothing. And this is the idea that, um, that you weren't supposed to just blur the lines and try to be something that you're not. And this idea of gender distinction um, plays through to the New Testament. In the New Testament, there's a, um, there's a scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verses 7 through 12, and Paul is talking about how men and women are supposed to interact in the, in the gathering of, of the church community. When they come together to worship God, how are they supposed to do things properly and in order? And there's a discussion there about head coverings. And, and I'll, I'll read this and we'll talk a little bit about what it means. Um, it says, a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but, but woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. Now, now there's a whole lot to unpack in this um, scripture. There's a lot to talk about. In this context, they're actually talking about whether or not women should wear head coverings in church when they pray or prophesy. And Paul gives the instruction that men are not to, uh, supposed to cover their heads, but women should cover their heads. Now, I'm looking around, I don't see any head coverings here today. And maybe you're wondering, well, wh why is that? What is the deal about that? Well, as we look at this passage, and we understand that all of uh, the, the letters in, in the New Testament they're written to particular people with particular issues at particular times. And sometimes those issues don't translate to our modern culture, but the principles that are being taught, the principles that are uh, being, um, being led out of Scripture, they still apply to us. And so in the Corinthian culture, just a little background, and this is kind of a side story, but it helps us understand the point that we're making here. In the Corinthian culture, to, to have your head, covers, head covered as a woman was a sign of respect. It was a sign that you were not loose. It was a sign that you were not available in advertising yourself. And so there was a cultural thing happening at this time. And, and Paul is saying, hey, listen, you guys need to understand and respect gender differences and understand that in your culture there are certain expressions of those gender differences and simply because you're in Christ doesn't mean that you get to throw off all of those things and blur the lines between man and woman. And he talks about how men and women are inter interdependent before the Lord. The, um, yes, Originally, a, man, a woman came out of man, but women give birth to men, right? So there's this interdependence between the sexes before the Lord, and that you shouldn't blur the lines between the sexes, but neither should you just, like, ignore all the cultural stuff either. And it is kind of complicated, but, but the idea here is that we are to maintain distinctions between male and female, but we also recognize that some of the expressions of masculinity 
and femininity are merely cultural. So we have to think on both levels. What is it that the Bible says we don't want to go against the principles of God's Word, and we also need to be just aware of what messages we're sending to the culture, because if we're sending a culture that actually um, would undermine the gospel, that would devalue Christ, then, then that's something that we need to be aware of, and that's what's happening here at Corinth. So as we look at the Bible, there isn't a lot of specific teaching about expressions of masculinity and femininity. We don't have a clear like, category of these are the w- ways that men should act, and over here, these are the ways that, that women should act. You know, kind of the closest thing we get to that is the, the passage I shared with you a moment ago, uh, Titus 2. It says this in verse 1 of Titus chapter 2. You, ha- you, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set an exa- and, excuse me, to be self-controlled in everything, set an example by doing what is good. And so we see sometimes in Scripture that There's a single group that is pointed out, young men, old men, older women, younger women. But if you look at the things that are being taught, you know, many of those things apply whatever gender you are, right? Like, he wouldn't say it would be okay for the women to be um, unsound in faith, love, and endurance, right? But he's just looking at particular groups in that particular setting and saying, hey, remind these people to, to serve the Lord in this way. Women are encouraged and taught to love their, chil- love their children and to love their husbands. There's other passages that talk about how husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, right? So these, these things aren't really exclusive. They're just general um, ways that men and women ought to serve the Lord. And there's no details about, hey, if you're a woman, you need to wear pink and never wear pants and always wear a dress. And, and if you're a man, you need to make sure you have the longest beard that you that you can grow, and you need to make sure you're fit and muscular and all these types of things. There's just no instruction on those types of things. And so we have this problem of stereotypes, especially in our culture. That culture sometimes promotes ideals of manliness and womanliness that just don't find support in Scripture. And so it's normal to think about you know, men loving sports and being athletic and wanting to go hunt and fish and kill things and cut them up and eat them and that kind of stuff. And we go, yeah, right? Like, I don't want to cut things up and eat it. You know, that, that's not me. Does that mean I'm not manly? No. And women, you know, you want to have babies and, and cook and, and do all these types of things and wear dresses and put on makeup and uh, fancy shoes. And if a woman doesn't like those things, does that mean she's not a woman or not, not female? And the, the answer is no, that none of those things are commanded by Scripture. They're just stereotypes of our culture. And we need to be careful about stereotypes. We shouldn't force modern cultural stereotypes on other people. And I believe that's part of what's causing the problem with our current debate. 
We've got a definition, an arbitrary definition of what it means to be a man, an arbitrary definition of what it means to be a woman. And we've cut it off from the idea of biology. And we said, well, if you don't fit this definition, you might be the other thing. And that's, that's not the way Scripture presents male and female. See, stereotypes, like, they affect the way that people see themselves. And if we're constantly holding up one image of femininity, especially when it maybe comes to body image or something like that, and then we're looking at teenage girls and saying, if you don't fit this, then you might consider you, you might be something else. That's going to do so much damage. And vice versa with, with, with men. Like we have to be very careful that God created us with a wide variety of interests, a, a wide variety of body types, that these differences are gifts and they're meant to enrich our lives. And simply because you don't fit a stereotype doesn't mean that you were supposed to be something else. I mean, think about this, especially when it comes to the, the idea of body image, right? Like, just as being a human being and an embodied soul, like I've got an internal sense of self and I also see my body before me, and we often experience discomfort, disappointment, disillusionment with our bodies. I mean, seriously, when's the last time you looked in the mirror and thought, yeah, like that's, that is the pinnacle of manhood right there. That is what it means to be a woman. You know, like, like generally, we're not comfortable in our own skin. I believe that's a result of the fall. Like, we, we struggle with our creatureliness. And we struggle with our inner spirits, and we also struggle with our bodies. In fact, the Scripture says that creation groans as it waits for the redemption of the sons and daughters of God. So simply because you might not be comfortable in your skin that there would be things that you don't like about your body, that doesn't always mean you need to change your body. Sometimes it's like, I just need to work out and get myself in shape. But there are other things that, 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 are, that we're limited in. We have been created by God, and we need to accept these things as gifts from Him. All right, let's talk about the concept of gender identity. Now, in the video, he laid out definition of terms. Um, what he is expressing is how these terms are generally used within the broader culture. So you may like the way that he expressed those things. You may disagree with the way that he expressed those things. But at least it's helpful to know what the other side of, of a, another view, another way of thinking about things, what they mean when they're using these terms. All right? So even if you don't agree with the way the terms are used, it's at least helpful to know what is being talked about. And we talk about the concept of gender identi identity. And even if you don't agree with the terminology, I, I think you can at least recognize that everyone has an internal sense of self. Everyone has an internal like self-perception. I've got my external world and my body, and then I have an internal sense of self. And Gender identity, that term, that phrase, is being used to describe that internal sense of self. So whether you like the term or not, we're talking about the internal sense of self. All right? And the question is, well, what happens then 
when my self-perception does not align with my biology. You heard the story of the woman in the video, and she says, you know, I always struggled. I didn't feel right in my own skin. Like, what am I supposed to do when, when my self-perception doesn't fit my biology? Do I change my body or do I change my mind? Well, as you begin to listen to people's stories, it's important to remember that every individual experiences this in a unique way. If someone considers themselves transgender, there might be many different reasons. Maybe it's something that they've struggled with since the time that they were a little kid. Maybe it's something that just kind of happens all of a sudden as a teenager, as they enter into puberty and they begin to uh, wonder about life. And especially today, people are being told, you can just make a choice. That's why it's so important to remember that we are created by God. We're not the product of some random chance evolution that we can just modify ourselves however we want. But rather, God has deep inherent value and worth in what he has created. And so some people, they experience what's called gender dysphoria. And this is like, um, this can be really intense psychological distress when their sense of their self, of self doesn't line up with their biology. There's anxiety and sometimes psychological and emotional pain that translates into physical pain because we're embodied souls and these two things are related. Right now in our culture, because it's being pushed as options, there's this dramatic increase in people struggling with their gender identity. It's being promoted. There's, there's a phenomenon that's called rapid-onset gender dysphoria. And in past decades, look up the research on this, uh, the, the, the speaker here, Preston Sprinkle, he's got a whole book on this topic, and he goes into a lot of the research. And in past decades, the vast majority of people who struggled with um, their gender identity, it was men transitioning to um, women, male to female. But in the recent decade, there is this meteoric rise in the number of teenage girls who were wrestling with their identity. And... To be honest, a lot of it's because it's trendy. It's social contagion. We, we, we see these things as they're being pushed. They're, they're being adopted by, by young women who are trying to figure out who they are. As you hit those teenage years, those formative years where you're trying to discover your identity and you have all these messages coming at you going, pick what you want to be. You, if you don't feel right, you might be something else. Like, name a teenage girl that feels right. We all just said a moment ago that we all don't feel right at times, Right? So especially in this time of, of um, when you're a teenager and you're trying to sort yourself out and then it's being pushed and there's um, harm being done because it's like, well, if you don't feel right, then you can take these hormones and you can have these surgeries. But those things are not reversible. And we need to be careful. And this is a place where I believe we can sound the alarm and say we need to care about these people enough to help them through this instead of just like... Uh, the story of this woman here, Leslie, her pastor said, you're not welcome here, see ya. Like, that's not okay. It's not a, we don't want to be like, hey, we're not going to talk about that topic. No, we're going to engage with people and help them think it through. So there's all these different reasons that people experience this. 
And we want to get to the bottom of it and talk to people and help them rather than just put them in a category and say, no, bad, hands off, don't touch. Now, at this point in the discussion, sometimes the question arises about people with intersex conditions. And there is a popular line of thinking that, that says, uh, hey, there are some people that are neither male nor female. So I want to ask that question. Are, are, are there some people who are neither male nor female? And there's a condition called intersex, and it's roughly 2% of people that have atypical anatomy or atypical genetics. Their chromosomes are, are, are not typical, right? So we understand from biology that to be female means you have XX chromosomes, right? And to be male means you have XY chromosomes. And people with those chromosomes, they develop typical male or female anatomy, and they're able to produce sperm or egg that, that combine to make another human being, right? Um, but there are some people who might have an extra chromosome, like XXY, or maybe three X chromosomes, XXXY chromosomes, right? And so they have both female chromosomes and male chromosomes. Uh, when you hear this push, hey, there's, you know, 2%, one in every 4,500 people have an intersex condition. That sounds like a lot of people. But when you begin to examine all of the different conditions that fall into this category, it's only a fraction of these individuals that are ambiguously sexed, mean, meaning if you looked at them anatomically, you couldn't say that they were either male or female. But that doesn't mean they're neither male or female. Rather, as we look at people that have these conditions, we see that they share characteristics of both male and female. And it's important to note that these are biological conditions. We're not talking about people wrestling with their internal sense of self. These are biological conditions where anatomy is atypical or chromosomes are atypical. And simply because people with these conditions exist, it doesn't mean that there are more than two genders. Rather, as we, as we think about people with these conditions, we recognize that they have characteristics of both males and females. And that creates a whole lot of questions, both ethically and pastorally and for discipleship and all these types of things. But we need to realize that those individuals with intersex conditions, they need love and care just like everyone else. And very often, they don't want to be included in this debate about gender because they don't really see it about them. You'll hear, I just, you know, I watched a video a few weeks ago while the guy's explaining what intersex conditions are, and he's saying, therefore, human beings exist on a spectrum between male and female. That's, that's not good logic. That, that, that doesn't work. We, we're either male or female, and then there are a small percentage of people, because of, we live in a fallen world, that, that have genetic or anatomical conditions where they exhibit characteristics of both male and female. All right, so how about discipleship then? If, if God has created male and female, and male and female are biological categories, how are we supposed to follow Jesus? How is God calling us to live? Well, our sexed bodies, being made male or female, are part of our identity as image bearers of God. We are created Again, over and over, it says that we are created male and female. 
and that we need to receive these things as a gift and live in accordance with our biology. There are limits to this, but there are blessings in this. I mean, come on, you've, you've wondered, like, as you look at the fair sex gentleman, I don't understand it. There are some things I just don't get, right? And women, you've looked at men and gone, mm-hmm, right? We do have biological differences. Like, for instance, um, on average, men are taller than women. That doesn't mean that every man is taller than every woman. On average, men are more aggressive than women when you study psychological factors. But that doesn't mean that every man is more aggressive than every woman. There are general differences. But we recognize that not everybody has to fit a particular stereotype. Rather, we receive our maleness and femaleness as a gift from God and live in accordance with our biology. Just as a side note, as, as, as uh, uh, reading and studying this topic, did you know that 100 year, years ago, pink was considered a, a manly color and blue was considered a female color? Like These are just cultural, arbitrary things. So don't get stuck on those stereotypes. Now here's where the rubber meets the road. Cultural engagement, because we have this world that's wrestling with these questions. And we're often asked, hey, use my pronouns. I identify as a female, even though I'm biologically male. Use my pronouns. Call me she, call me her, or vice versa. What should you do? How should we think about this? Well, there's actually debate on this topic within Christian circles. And the debate goes something like this. On one side, there is an emphasis on truth. And on the other side, there's an emphasis on hospitality. And the, the people who are emphasizing truth will say, well, when I use pronouns, I'm talking about biology and it would not be good for me to call something that is not that. Call someone her when it's a biological male. Now, most of those people who would emphasize truth in this debate, they'd say, I'm fine using whatever name the person wants to call themselves. If the person was using a culturally male name and decides to use a culturally female name, well, names are just cultural and I'll use whatever name um, uh, that the person asked me to use. Even the most hardcore people that lean on the side of truth are saying, I'll use whatever name, but when I use a pronoun, I'm talking about biology and it would not be helpful in a conversation to use that pronoun. The people on the side of hospitality would say, listen, language changes. Language is fluid. Language means different things. For, for example, um, I, I talk about the original languages of the Bible quite often, right? Um, in the Bible, when you use the, the relative pronoun who, like the man who went to the store, that, that word who in the Greek language is a gendered word. You can use the masculine version of the word, you can use the feminine version of the word, or you can use the the neuter version of the world, which is neither masculine nor feminine. And generally, um, you got to match that pronoun with its antecedent, with the, with the person that you're referring to. So if you're referring to a man, that pronoun who 
has to be masculine. And in English, there is no masculine or feminine version of the word who. It's just the word who. And you figure out whether it was a male or female based on who the antecedent is, the, the person that that relative pronoun is referring to. There's your grammar lesson for the day. But the point I'm making is that there is an argument that, hey, language is fluid and it changes. And simply because we use a particular pronoun, um, it doesn't speak to what that person actually is, but rather just a reference to that person. All right? Now, how are we going to go and solve this debate? Well, here are the questions that I think that we need to think about. Does my language reflect biological reality? Is that what I'm concerned about? I'm going to use a philosophical term called ontology. The ontology is the study of being, the study of what actually is. And am I concerned about my language reflecting um, what actually is? Am I treating a pronoun like him or her as a statement about ontology? Or am I treating it as simply a reference to a person? After all, we call these personal pronouns. That, that's called, um, by the way, equivocation. I changed the meaning of those words and gave you an ambiguous meaning, all right? Um, what am I endorsing if I use a particular pronoun? What is it that I'm encouraging in maybe a societal conversation or in a personal relationship with someone? Am I contributing to the person's harm? Because if, let's say, for example, there's a, a, there's a young girl and she says, well, maybe I'm male and I, I shouldn't, shouldn't be female, so I want, I want you to call me him instead of her. If I enter into that relationship and I speak those things over her, I am affirming and contributing to her confusion rather than helping her out of it. What am I contributing to? And how am I contributing to a person's harm? Or on the other side, is it a matter of personal respect? Like, let's say there's someone on the street. I don't know from anybody else. How am I going to interact with them? What level of relationship can be sustained given my decision? Is a person going to hear anything I have to say if I'm unwilling to show them the respect? I do air quotes, but I don't mean to just dismiss the question. If I'm unwilling to show them the respect that they're asking for, are they going to hear anything else that I have to say? These are all difficult questions, and maybe you have a clear answer. Maybe, maybe there's one way you're like, this is the way, and it's black and white for me, and this is where I am. I might lean a particular way. I might go, hey, listen, when I talk about, when I use pronouns, I'm talking about biology, and I'm not talking about internal sense of self, because that gets all kinds of crazy, and that gets all kinds of muddy. But what I want to encourage you to do, even though you might have a general stance and a general opinion, is I want you to think through the implications rather than just have a knee-jerk reaction. And I want you to enter into conversation with people when it's possible. For example, maybe you have a stance where it's like, hey, my pronouns, I just use whatever's biolog biologically right, and that's going to be my stance. Well, here's a scenario, and maybe your, your stance will be the same, but at least maybe it would cause you to um, pause to think just a moment. Let's say there's um, a woman who's struggled with gender identity 
her entire life. And she's had really intense gender dysphoria. And I, I don't know what that's like. I, I couldn't describe it. I don't know what it, what it feels like to feel like psychological and physical pain because I don't, my, my internal sense of self doesn't line up with my body. I don't, I don't know what that's like. Well, let's say that person comes to you and you're in a relationship with them. They're, they're your friend. They're, they're attending your church. They're seeking God. They're truly trying to honor God. And, the, and that, that lady, she says, look, I understand that I'm a woman. I know that I'm female. I'm trying to follow Christ and live out what um, God is calling me to. But I've got all this emotional and psychological baggage from, all, from, from, from years of just psychological distress of wrestling with this. And I'm trying to get free of it. But would you do me a favor? Like, whenever you call me she or her, it triggers all that stuff. Would you be kind enough to just call me they and them? Maybe your response is, well, you're singular and not plural, and I'm going to call you she. Or maybe your response is, and hmm, that's really tough. I'm really sorry that you've struggled with that. How can, I, how can I help you? Like, how can I love you and, and serve you well? We, we both know and agree that you're female, and we know what the normal language would be, but maybe in this instance I'm willing to consider not calling you male because you're not male, but using a different pronoun for you because it might help you follow Christ as you get free and as you grow and as you heal. Maybe you like that answer. Maybe you don't like that answer, but I'm trying to get us to think carefully about these things rather than just have rigid black and white categories. We want to be people who speak truth, but serve people well, and we serve people well by getting to know them and at least considering their stories. One more thing, as we think about this cultural engagement. As a researcher author, speaker by the name of Mark Yarhouse, I would recommend his work if you want to dive deeply into this. He kind of out, outlines for us three levels of identity. He talks about political identity. It's how are we going to respond to the culture. I believe the church is called not to just react to culture, but to be formative, to speak truth into culture and to shape culture. But we have to do it in a way that's with gentleness and respect, right? Paul says to be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. He talks about the public level of identity. And this is basically like political is the level of ideology. Public is more like your neighbor down the street. You don't really have a relationship with them. Maybe you see them at the grocery store. Um, it's someone that you're not really deeply connected with, Right? And they're wrestling with gender identity. Is like, how are we going to love our neighbors? And then the third level would be personal identity. And this would be people that are our friends, people that we care about, maybe family members, and they're, they're, um, they're struggling with this. And how are we going to interact with them? And as you think about engaging the world and the people around you, it's helpful to realize what level you're engaging at. Because you're not going to help that friend the way that you would speak into culture on a political, ideological level. And you're not going to be able to speak into the political, ideological level the way that you would if you were speaking to a close, trusted friend who was wrestling with these issues. So different things to think about as we try to share God's truth in love. All right, let's sum this up then, because I know we've been talking for a while. 
I didn't answer all the questions, and maybe there are questions that you have you think I should have answered differently. I would encourage you to constantly seek the Lord, as we all do, and live with a clean conscience before Him. And in any one of these particular areas, we're called to obey Jesus and follow the way of grace and truth. When it comes to God's design for gender, that God created male and female. These are the two categories. There are, there are no others. And when it comes to following Jesus, we're called to live out what God has created us to be. We receive these genders, male and female, as gifts, that we honor the differences between men and women without getting caught up in any cultural stereotypes. God created us differently. We honor those. We're not stuck in somebody else's opinion of what it means to be a man or means to be a woman. And finally, that as a church, like this is a place of healing. This is a place where God wants to bind up the brokenhearted. And we are called to help people find wholeness and live out the design that God has for them. So instead of just taking a political stance or um, ignoring an issue, we want to tackle it head on with grace and truth so that people might know the love of their Creator. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we can recognize this as a difficult issue or at least an uncomfortable issue because of the conflict that we see in our culture, because of the intense debate. God, sometimes we're blinded by those things and we can't see clearly the person that you love. And Lord, I pray that as we wrestle with these topics of what we are made to be, how you designed us, Lord, that, God, we would come to you and seek truth and that we would see the people that you died for. God, your word says that while we were still sinners, you demonstrated your love for us in this, that Christ died for us. And Jesus, we thank you that you have come to redeem us, body and soul. And when there are spiritual struggles, Lord, you are there. When there are physical struggles, God, you are there. And we come and we just cry out to you as Savior of all. And we pray that you would draw us into your life and into your hope and into your joy. God, I pray that we as your followers, as your church, would be a light to the world, a voice of hope in darkness, that people would come to the truth and be freed in the joy that is, in, that is found in Christ. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.